Noiros in color. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Welcome to our first edition. Well, welcome to the show, first off. Yeah. And uh, welcome to the first edition. It's May, and it's Technoir Color May. We're doing four Technicolor films this month, and really looking forward to it. We'll get into it, but before we do, we got to say hello to the man himself, Fancy Dan. How you doing, buddy? Hi there. I'm doing okay. How about you? Gentleman Joey here to say, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> a mutual okay. I'm ready for the week to be over already. Yeah, I, I hit that wall very early this morning, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm we're with d- you. We're doing a rare work week record, so if we pull this one off, it took every bit of effort. I will say. Yes. But uh, things are good. Went to the comic shop with my friend and we went outside of town to Bryn Mawr. Okay, cool. And, and did a little, uh, they had some 50 cent bins we heard about and, and checked it out. And it was nice to do a little bin dive and hadn't been in a good number of years, like a good, just solid Yeah. looking through, taking what you get. So did that I was cool. It? I did. Yeah. I got some Jim Lee Alpha Flight hmm. <laughs> for those I mean, that, that celebrate. Too, it's like, you know, you can, it's you true. can, you can kind of reach on some stuff too. No comic more than $6 was spent. So that wasn't too bad. And then I just yeah, got this in good. the mail today. Uh, this is Squeak the Mouse. It's an 80s Italian comic that was actually uh, when it was okay. <laughs> it was uh, deemed obscene by U.S. Customs in 1985 and seized. And they say it was the inspiration for The Simpsons Itchy and Scratchy. Really? Yeah, it's just this crazy, violent cat and mouse. I mean, you know, Tom and Jerry, that kind of thing. Ren and Stimpy yeah. style nonsense. It didn't get seized this time at customs. So far, so good. I got my copy. Um, I think it had issues with like paper shortages and stuff because yeah. like it says first printing like December 2021 and it just came out. So, yeah. And then I did a little eBaying, Dan, and I got myself this Green Acres book. Oh, wow. Because I like books if I can get them on a, on a TV show. And just real quick, I'm going to. I think it's important to announce the title of it because I just saw it. It's the Hooterville Handbook, <laughs> a viewer's guide to Green Acres. Hooterville, of course, is the town where they come in. I, I, I swear I'm done talking about Green Acres, guys, but I'm, I'm wrapping up. But this was a still from an unused scene. It's got Eddie Albert, this gorilla man. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it looks like that would have been a good time. And Dracula, Dracula is there in the corner. And that never took place on the show? No, filmed but not used, and uh, this is all that it exists, and it's a shame. That would have been a good episode, I think. At least you get the picture, though. It's better than nothing. Exactly, yes. No pictures, I'm not buying this damn thing. You know, I'm just (laughs) taking in a couple stories if I can, but that's about it. Nothing watching, really. Been too busy, but watched Alien Nation. Cool. You you like that one? I I haven't watched it. I'm definitely aware of it, but I haven't watched it. This was me going into it. You know, okay. I'm like, I'm aware of it. I kind of mostly forgot it was a movie because I know there was like right. TV movies. There was a right. comic book. It was like everything but. But it was like, oh, yeah, this is where it started. It's James Caan, Mandy Patinkin. Mandy Patinkin's an alien. Yeah, it's all right. It was interesting. Mm. It was a little too buddy cop and not enough alien. But <laughs> you wanted the ratio to be a little bit more 50 50. Or even a little more 60 40, you know, like it, okay. just, it just was a lot of times we were like, did you see your partner? Like. That guy shouldn't look like that. Let's acknowledge that a little bit more, but I don't know. That's all right. It was interesting. Yeah. I still prefer well, uh, Enemy Mine as far as... Uh, oh, yeah. I know Enemy Mine. Yeah. Yo, Enemy oh, Mine, I watched that recently, and it's like... Because uh, that was a very distinctive movie for me when I was a kid. It has the worst score of all time. If you <laughs> rescored that bad boy, 
it would be a whole different movie. It would it would totally blow your minds because like everyone's killing it except for the guy who's doing the score. He's like doing yeah. weird like laser keyboards and stuff <laughs> like that. It's nuts. That and maybe a color correction, and, and that baby's ready to go. So do that. Come on, Hollywood. Speaking of of uh, cop related things, I was I, wondering. Speaking of what? Because I said a lot there. <laughs> yeah, I uh, it, yeah, I, I feel like the segue is pretty pretty well. Um, I I got a couple of movies from Shout Factory, and one of them was uh, RoboCop Three, which I I never actually is that how you pronounce seeing. it, Dan? I always thought it was Ah Factory. Oh, is that? Oh, that. Yes, I I never. Never thought about it that way, but yeah, I think you're right. And I thought they're just telling you, like, we can't print a screen or a shout yeah. and also screen, but that's a different. Yeah, you have to. You have to ah! it. Yeah. <laughs> Factory. <laughs> what'd, wow. you, what'd you get from the uh, the S exclamation mark? I well, I got I got a few movies, but but one again segues is uh, RoboCop three. I had yes. never seen it before. I'd always I think wow. like I can't remember seeing it growing up. I feel like it just wasn't on. But I remember, I definitely remember Which one and two. Which is weird because it's yeah. the PG-13 one. Like, there's no reason you couldn't easily put that bad right. boy on TV. Right. And you know what? I, I came in with this expectation. I'm like, oh, this is probably going to be really awful. No and Peter Weller. No Peter Weller. No Peter Weller. But you got to get Nancy, Nancy Allen a bit. Yeah, you, Nancy Allen is still around. For the, for the comic fans out there, since I've already nerded us up, the second RoboCop is written by Frank Miller. He has a cameo mm-hmm. in it. And he had a horrible experience. They, they butchered his script and he's like, never again. And yet they still somehow convinced him to come back for RoboCop 3 and did the exact same thing again. Probably because Fred Decker. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I, I had a blast. I absolutely, it is a lot of fun. I, I, it was way more fun than I expected. I expected it to be awful, but I loved every minute of it. I just I thought the one liners were great. I thought the action was really cool. I, I liked the plot, actually. I just thought it was really interesting, and it, it had a lot going on. But it was such a fun ride that that it was just what I needed. And the cast was just, like, even the supporting cast, there's, like, a bunch of, like, Seinfeld side characters in it. I mean, oh, yeah. it, that's crazy. You have uh, Jeff Garland in it, which is crazy. <laughs> um, he works at the donut shop. Like, it's just, yeah, it was it was wild. I mean, obviously, the, the jetpack is the thing that people always kind of talk about. Of course. Um, but... Yeah, I had a really good time watching it. Thought I would mention that because you and I, I think, talked about that off recording that I had watched. Surprisingly, I'm yeah. surprised RoboCop doesn't come up as often as it does. That's a that's a top tenner for me. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like the the first movie is so good and so dark, and and the second one's dark too. But it's got you know, so it's a little bit different feel. Well, it's um, like so- people trying to do Verhoeven, which just is not. Right. You know, it's it's transparent that it's not successful. It's weird. Like, at the end of the day, there's only one good RoboCop. But at the end of the day, there's actually three good RoboCops because they're all a lot (laughs) of fun. Yeah, like the the I, none of them will reach the the level of the first one, and that's the problem. It's like the the first one was so good and it had such the great the 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 premise is great. It's the beginning. It's the social commentary. Like everything about it, you know, was was perfect. And then it's like, you know, as you get further removed from that, it's not going to be as good, you know, and, and it, I think that's just by default. But the the two and three are, I think, are both really enjoyable, you know, for in their own regards, in their own way. I know that they're doing the TV show. Like I heard like because I, I want like, nothing to do with it. Leave RoboCop alone. Maybe an animated series at most. I, I don't want it. They try They keep trying to do this stuff. They don't get what's great about RoboCop. I don't I have no hopes for that. Well, I was gonna say the 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 RoboCop show is older. It's not a newer one. 
So the TV show, you mean the British TV show, the one that exists already? Is it British? Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I dip my toes it's, in it. It's not it's a Canadian, Canadian, I thought. Oh, okay. Maybe it's Canadian. But yes, it's not American. Yeah. It, it's it's super bizarre. And it's just, it's a weird tone. I mean, yeah, you, you could do it, but it's, I'm just telling you, it's, it's, it's a waste of time. Yeah. You'll if know, you really right, you'll to. know right away for sure. But yeah, I don't know. I was curious about it, but you know, it's if I don't see it, I don't see it because I know there's a Blu-ray that came out, but there was a lot of complaints about like the I don't know if it's the aspect ratio or something. There's so, there's something that people were like, "How dare know, they not get the RoboCop television show yeah. correct?" <laughs> yeah, it, se- it seemed a little bit whatever. Like I was just like, okay, like you guys can settle down. I forget. Oh, let me see if I can find because this is like just recent that this came out. It, it, it that might have been Shout right or something like that. That put it out, the TV show? No. Okay. It was somebody else. I, I want to say it was like an Australian company. It wasn't Umbrella, though. Oh, okay. I like how they always call it the cyberpunk TV show. It's fascinating to see. This was such a thing with all those 80s properties. What the masses take away from, like, what they what they liked about it, you know? And it's like, maybe they're not liking the satire. They're liking just the, like, robotic police officer Right. You know, doing that, which is like fine. Of course, it's a fun action movie, but right, it but really is that it had something to say that really makes it worth a damn at the end of the day. And without that, you don't get Peter Weller. Peter so Weller it, isn't going to waste his goddamn time, Dan. <laughs> no, he's not. So it's a company called Liberation Hall, which I've never heard of. But the, the to read a, a very brief description, I guess this was the the issue. It says they're cropping to sixteen nine away from God's aspect ratio of four three. Unforgivable. May the gods have mercy on their souls, because I won't. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that I think that says it all. Who said that, Dan? <laughs> Who? What's what's the username um, on that? Uh, <laughs> are you ready? Yes, please. Um, Jesus of Methlehem. I knew that was going to pay off. That's amazing. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot going on. That's that's um, an amazing review. Please leave that review on our <laughs> podcast. We would be so proud. Out there. Yeah. Or, you know, even if someone wants to, you know, completely plagiarize it, we'll accept it. Yes. But yeah, that's that's all I have. That's great. Uh, well, I'm glad you had such a good time with robots and, and RoboCop 3. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait quick real since you said since you said robot that also reminded me and i don't know because this is a very time and place movie but i feel like you would you would be aware of it and, and like it i had the urge since i had watched the robocop movies that i watched one of my personal all-time favorite movies when i was a kid growing here up we, here we go uh, we like Ro- short circuit or something oh, okay. no i mean yeah i, I mean I, of course <laughs> i like those movies but uh robot jocks robot you jocks know? hell yeah how awesome is that movie and I have the Blu-ray of it. Um, it came out on Blu-ray a couple years ago through Shop Factory. And uh, I hadn't watched it so long, but man, what a movie. It's so it's so enjoyable. I can't believe um, Dan just talking to me like I don't have Robo Jocks on fucking Blu-ray. Yeah, dude. That was uh kind of a super like I said, it's such a it's such a very small I mean it's you know, we're I, obviously I, the same age group, but yeah, it was such such a small time and place thing. My uh my friend's dad owned the video store in town, and I remember like he was watching it, like they sent a promo of it. Oh, wow. And he was like, hey, you guys might like this. And like, it was like, fuck yeah, we'll like this. It was, <laughs> I can't recommend RoboJocks enough. I remember it's like so too, good. like, I remember seeing it as a kid, like that time. And then, 
you know, many years later, like seeking it out. I'm like, did that, was that a fever dream? Like, what was that yes. movie? I couldn't even remember the title of it. And then I finally found it and it paid off. That, that was one that like was as fun as I remembered. Dude, 100%. And, and that's exactly how I felt too. It, it was one of those movies where I'm like, am I making this up or did yeah. this really exist? And I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't remember, always remember the the title, but yeah, same, same with me also. Like I remember when it just came out in the very early nineties on HBO. Cause I had mm-hmm. like the, the three HBO channels at the time. And I remember just catching it maybe like on a Saturday morning. I'm like, this movie rules. Like, you know, cause you're a kid. You're just like, this is awesome. I mean, yeah. you know, d- definitely like the power Rangers generation too. Mm-hmm. So you're just like, yeah, this is great. And then it just kind of like, fell into obscurity and like you couldn't get it anywhere for for years so it just like it felt like like you said like a fever dream so once i heard that that was going on blu-ray a few years back i was like yeah that was an instant instant purchase Um, but yeah i was looking through looking through my alphabetized blu-rays and as i was grabbing the robot the the (laughs) robocop movies i was right there i'm like man i haven't watched that in a few years and yeah just as enjoyable I bet that's by design too of like you know when we title this movie we want to make sure it's by robocop at Blockbuster, you know? Yes, 100%. So, well done. Definitely, that could be a bonus episode in itself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we could probably talk all day about robo- robot jocks, because I could. Well, speaking of robotic jocks, I can't think of a better forced segue. <laughs> yeah. Then to get into episode 70, suddenly you realize murder is at your elbow. And there's no way out. Also, they're going to kill you with no hard feelings. Bad day at BlackRock, everybody. We did it. Episode 70, but also episode one of Tech Noir Color May. But this was released. It is great to be here. This is a long time coming. Yes. And it's, you know, interesting to start with this one that we've seen so many times. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had seen it for the first time last year. I remember mentioning it on the podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Criterion did a Robert Ryan highlight and this was in there and anybody who sees this movie, you hope (laughs) we'll do our best, but you love this movie. It's just so fun and awesome. And it's a noir, it's a Western, but it's modern. It's so bizarre (laughs) in the best way possible. And it's great. And it was released January 7th, 1955 from MGM Pictures directed by John Sturgis Screenplay by Don McGuire and Millard Kaufman based on the short story, Bad Time at Honda. We'll get into it. Uh, That was a 1947 short story that appeared in the American magazine. There's a title from Howard Breslin. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Yeah, I'm glad we're doing this one, though. I mean, regardless, I guess, of the timeline of us doing these movies. I mean, this is just a great film all the way around. I mean, even down to the 81 minute running time. I mean, like. Come on. Shout out to that. As I mentioned to you, Dan, I I kind of double refreshed my memory this weekend and and today with this one. And Mm -hmm. a big part of being happy to do so was it's a great movie, but also that runtime was like, yeah, I got that time. Like, no problem. Plus it's CinemaScope. I mean, that's, I mean, CinemaScope's awesome. Ooh, baby. And they make good use of it. We're in a, uh, we're coming in hot, Dan, on a train. From a helicopter. Big deal, right? (laughs) Who cares? But, no, it's an amazing train. We're going to start you right off with a fun fact. When you got a, a big opening sequence like that, it's going to have a fun fact. The preview audiences, they didn't like the original opening sequence. So this one was filmed. John Sturgis didn't even actually film it. He was already on to his next movie. And uh, yeah, they took it from a helicopter 
and they filmed it in reverse. <laughs> so yeah, good job. Good cost cutting. Looks cool. Looks great. Everyone loves a train credit sequence, you know? Yeah. If I'm going to be having to see everyone's name, let's keep it moving. Yeah. But hey, we've seen trains. It's 1945. Big deal, right? Actually, it is because the streamliner, it's stopping in this town of Black Rock, Arizona. Looks like the Old West for good reason. We'll get into it. But Is it, is it Arizona? I thought it was California. Well, in real life. But where we are in, in the plot of this movie is Arizona. Really? Because I, from what I read, it was California. So I, I have conflicting info, I guess. If we're looking, <laughs> yes, I see. I have both write-ups up. One says Arizona, the other says California. I do believe they say Arizona in the movie, though. Do they? Okay. Yeah, you might be right. <laughs> but it is in yeah. California, it, you know, where it takes place filming-wise. So, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. if, you're, if you're not fooled by it, that's fine. Either way, it's a desert town. It looks like the Old West. Nobody's there. And this is the first time this train has come in in four years. So everybody's like, hey, what's this about? Who's going to get off this train? Well, it's going to be <laughs> old Spencer Tracy, of course. Mm-hmm. who's ha- happy to be here very clearly, Dan. John J. McCready gets off, and he has one arm. You're going to notice immediately. Mm-hmm. Everybody hates him, though. They're not very friendly. They don't like people coming in. It's been four years since they've had a newcomer. Why start now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a very, very small town. I mean, wh- even when you see, like, the the wide shots of it, it's like it's in the literal middle of nowhere, and and there's not much going on. So, like, if someone new's coming in, like, yeah, obviously it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, you, you're sweating just looking at this movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for the, from the, you know, the heat also, but you know, yes. literally and figuratively. Everybody's giving him the, uh, the side eye. They don't like him. And he's here on a mission, though. Uh, he's looking for a man named Komoko. And people don't like that name once it's been said. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't know that th- through a lot of the movie. We actually don't find out till middle end-ish of the movie. Right. But... If we're telling our friends here, our listeners. Yes, Yes, that's true. (laughs) This is this is why they're like, hey, this is no good beyond the fact that we have a stranger here. And he also has been mentioning Adobe Flat, which is a a very specific area. And that's where he's looking for his friend. Immediately, they're like, oh, we got to figure this out. So we're at a hotel and he's trying to get a room, but they're being difficult with him. Like, you know, uh, we, we don't know if we have any rooms. There's wartime restrictions. We got we got to figure this out, you know, because uh, at this time we said 45 World War Two had just ended. it's mm-hmm. been a couple months, probably not even a full year. So everybody's getting over that. I have a feeling based on this movie list, there's going to be a lot of these post-war time films <laughs> this month. Yeah, <laughs> if, you, if that's the trade off for color, it seems you got to get into World War Two, but that's OK. We'll do it. We've done it before. We'll do it again. Uh, eventually. He gets a room. He's dealing with the desk clerk. His name is Pete Worth. He ends up in a room. And when he's there, he meets a man named Hector David, who we may recognize as our old friend, Lee Goddamn Marvin. Uh, this is our, <laughs> we've, we've seen a taste of them before. We've also seen the, the taste of our Ernest Borgnine and mm-hmm. Robert Ryan. Um, just the, the all-time trinity of great villains together at last. I, I, my only, not criticism, but question would be i guess to you dan i mean i'm sure this is just when it came out people's stature but i I feel like lee marvin should be leading that game and robert ryan should be the second banana i don't think he was as big at the time well that i understand that but i'm just saying now knowing what we know that is my feeling and and you can see the 
the uh, the brilliance of him already at this point. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. I think the problem is like, I, I mean, obviously, I think Robert Ryan's a great actor, and I feel like he does a great job in this movie. But I feel it, like it could have been fantastic. It, it, it could have been interchangeable. I agree. Like you, it, if you had it reversed, it, I think it still would have worked. Exactly. Um, it's just they're but, both a, a very particular son of a bitch, and they're both so good at it. Yeah, hard boiled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's just it's a it's a hard call. It's not that it's not unrealistic, but it's just I don't know. I've just seen too much Lee Marvin. <laughs> you know, we've we all saw the coffee scene. Mm-hmm. How many years removed are we from that? That was fifty three in the big heat. So this is okay. like right after it. So he's 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 on the rise. This guy. Yeah, but I mean that. Yeah, I mean that's a secondary role in that movie, as, as good as it was. But I'm saying like he wasn't oh, as absolutely. much of a name by for sure by 1954, 55 as as Robert Ryan was. Oh yeah, probably not until the early 60s we start to finally right. get him come out into his own. Right, and I mean Ernest Borgnine as well. I mean he he was just kind of starting to get more and more roles. So we'll get into Ernest Borgnine. There's there's some fun facts that definitely get into what we're talking about here. But like like it, basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even thought about it. I was also going to try not to bring up the uh, the black that cl- hole that clip of him on the news where he says his key to longevity is that he masturbates a lot. <laughs> I did not know about that, <laughs> Dana. I will send you that clip uh, after this. It's very oh. funny. There's also I saw a clip recently of like in the 90s, him and his son were like making a documentary in an RV, and they like stop in you know somewhere random. Could have been Black Rock, Arizona. They're mm-hmm. looking for a Dairy Queen, and he's just like so weird to these poor children. So that's a thing out there as well. <laughs> he's in a Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode, and it's hilarious. Of course, he is. It's called Merlin's Shop of Mystical Wonders, where he tells a story, all these different <laughs> stories. It's like a, um, it's a kind of like a um, what's it called? Uh, kind of like creep show where it's like all like different like stories and stuff like that. And he, he. Yeah, anthology. And he used to be like, apparently his premise was that he used to be a uh, a, a television writer and the, and like he's like babysitting his grandson and like the power goes out. So he starts telling him stories because the TV's out because the kid was watching TV. And there's these like bizarre stories. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. Nice. <laughs> I thought I would just bring that up. Sorry. Hey, w- while we're here, Dan, of course, I understand. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm still laughing about basketball. I'm thinking about when uh, he's getting uh, CPR and the, the hot dog keeps popping out of his mouth. <laughs> I always I always t- say the line about like the, the hula hoops and yo-yos and Dan Fogelbergs and Zima, <laughs> where he just like rattles off these ridiculous things. You kids these days. Shout out to Zima. Yeah. Still around. It made a comeback, but I don't, I think even that comeback may have come to a close. Uh, oh, well. That's quite a digression we just did, though. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, going, going from Lee Marvin to Zima, I never thought that would happen, but here we are. Deep down, I think I knew. <laughs> I hope if, anyone, if anyone would have known, it would have been you. So, <laughs> Look, I, I, I come from the future, Dan. The future of Zima and Lee Marvin. What, what a future. It's a future that our old man McCready is finding out himself because he's trying to go to his room. But <laughs> who should he find but this man? waiting for him and he's like you know hey <laughs> you should probably leave we don't like you guess maybe you're in the wrong room you think so what else you got on your mind right nothing else i guess 
If you had half a mind, boy, you would have paid attention to what Pete downstairs said. He said this room's here is for us cowboys, for our every wish and comfort. And this one is yours, I guess. When I'm in town. And I'm in town, as any fool can see. You can see that, can't you, boy? Yes, I guess so. Uh, would you mind if I sort of got my things together and found another room? Not at all. But if you really wanted this room, we could maybe settle your claim without all this talk. I believe a man's nothing unless he stands up for what's rightfully his. What do you think? I guess so. You guess so. But you still ain't claiming this room. No, I guess not. You all the time guessing, ain't you, boy? Don't you know anything? Well, I know that uh, ever since I got off the train, that everybody's been needling me. Why? I guess I rightfully don't know. Uh, now he's trying to get a car so he can go out to Adobe Flat and try to find his friend. So he tries to get this car. But of course, the town is not being cooperative whatsoever. And Reno Smith, who is Robert Ryan, of course, it's tough. He's got a cool name in this one. I don't know whether to call him Robert Ryan or Reno Smith. They all kind of all Coley Trimble is Ernest Borgnine and yeah. Hector David is Lee Marvin. Still gets two names in this one. So they all got great names. They do. I, I think Reno's cool. I think it's a really cool name. So yeah. I'm always fond of Reno as well. It uh it has a certain sleaziness to it. Yeah. So Reno and Coley, they drive up and they're trying to figure out what's going on with this guy. And they seem to be worried about their newcomer. And the doc is there, Walter Brennan, mm -hmm. a legend in the field. Yes. A um, lot of movies. A lot of movies. They won some Oscars. So he's there. And he's like, hey, what are you guys so worried about? And Reno's like, yeah, well, you, gotta, you better shut the fuck up, dude. You better find out about this guy. We're going to get a private detective in Los Angeles to get us some information. Mm hmm McCready, meanwhile, he goes to the sheriff's office. He sees old Tim Horn here, Sheriff Tim Horn, G Dean Jagger. Mm -hmm. He starts to make nice with him and, and try to get some information. He's uh, just coming up from a, a, a nice little drunken stupor himself. <laughs> the yeah. good time to come in for information. Yeah, not super helpful. <laughs> not at all. You know, much like alcoholics typically are, unfortunately. I would love to meet a helpful alcoholic. I guess that's what they call functioning alcoholics, right? Well, it's interesting that like, you know, there's a lot of just like, obviously there's an interesting like subtext in this, in this film, but when you think about it, like there's different, just the different demeanors of everybody, but it's the same thing. They're all kind of given the cold shoulder, but in kind of in different ways, depending on who they are. I mean, in this case, it's not necessarily indifference to him as an outsider. It's more or less just because he's kind of in his own kind of, you know, stupor, like you said, and, and the doc kind of comes around as we'll get to but everyone kind of has their own thing going on and it's just interesting. It's just interesting how this kind of plays up and how McCready keeps a pretty cool head throughout most of this. Like he, he's pretty certainly like, at first even yeah. killed. Yes. And he's just very like, he kind of just goes with the flow as much as he's getting resistance. He's kind of just like, okay, you know, I'll just do this. You know, he's, he's just, just very, just like, go with, go with it. He has a mission. He's looking for Komoko and he's going to yeah. make his way to Adobe flats. You know, if people don't seem to like that, he's asking about this guy. You know, that's on them. Right. But they haven't liked it. He's been asking about this guy. So Reno, he, he comes up to McCready and he's like, hey, let me tell you about Kamoko. Uh, he came here a little before Pearl Harbor 
and then he went to uh, an internment camp and that was that we don't know what happened to him why don't you go ahead and write him a letter you know mm-hmm. and then now we meet pete worth he has himself a sister liz and that's ann francis the, the great mm-hmm. ann francis always a, a fan of her and uh, yes she's the only woman in this movie so she's got a lot of work to do mm-hmm. she drives up in a jeep dan shout out to jeeps <laughs> i love that do <laughs> you like that and uh, he's able to rent himself the vehicle. Finally, someone's willing to work with him, and he heads off to Adobe Flat. Reno, meanwhile, he's pretty pissed about that, but Liz is confident that there's nothing out there for him to find, so he can enjoy himself a nice little <laughs> little trip out there. And it's curious. Like I, I was always kind of interested. I mean, they they talk a little bit about Robert Ryan's background, about how he's like this large landowner. He has like I guess like a farm and stuff like that. But how everyone kind of cowtails to him you know what i mean like he has some type of power but he's not like he's not the sheriff but he says he put the sheriff in in place like he's like almost like kind of like the quote-unquote mayor but like doesn't really have that title it's it's interesting like the power dynamic that he has over the town he yeah definitely has everybody afraid (laughs) yes you know probably because as we'll get to he has like a pretty violent streak in him so maybe maybe that is maybe it's through fear (laughs) he's a he's a guy that can be intimidated i mean he's a landowner so he probably has you know some money it's a small town so it doesn't take much to run something like that sure you know his fear of the secrets that he's trying to keep as we'll get into that dictates him definitely strong arming everyone into keeping it a secret and and keeping these uh these demons buried but uh, also, at one point, Doc does let it slip that Kamoko is alive or dead, rather. So yeah. he's, he is suspicious of that, too. And so when he makes it to Adobe Flat, he sees that there's this house that's been burned to the ground and there's mm-hmm. some and some flowers growing nearby as well. And so he sees that that's some new information for him. And he goes to drive back. <laughs> Who should come up but old Ernest Borgnine? Uh, I think he forgot how to drive, Dan. Maybe just a little bit. Tries to run him off the road. Great scene. One of the best of the movies. Just a very exciting scene you know, on a very narrow desert road. And it's like, hey, buddy, uh, what happened? You can't drive with one arm or something? Trying to run him off the road. Yeah. He's a real son of a bitch. A road hog, if you will. Yeah. Just a little bit. So McCready, he feels like he has enough information now. He's like, I'm going to go ahead and and check out. But it doesn't look like that train is going to come until the next morning. And he tries to see if Liz will take him into the next town, but she refuses. Uh, So Smith asks about how he lost his arm. And McCready says that he lost it in the war. In Italy. uh, In Italy, yeah. And then McCready is also, he's suspicious about these wildflowers that were growing there. Because from what he's seen, he's seen a lot of death they grow from a body being buried there mm-hmm. um, we're seeing a lot of racism this whole time you know that's definitely one of the underlying themes in the movie is that this is a, a hateful town um, we find out that smith had tried to enlist into the army after pearl harbor but he was refused he failed the physical mm-hmm. i don't know how he seems like such a physically <laughs> fit and demanding guy but maybe that's what changed his life i don't know yeah forget it. i don't does he mention something about it or no? I don't think he gets specific. Yeah, it seems like it's pretty vague, but I, yeah. I may have missed it. Yeah. So Smith, he's, he's been pretty hateful and, and scary. So McCready's like, I'm going to go ahead and call the police. Clearly something's going on here. But old Pete Worth refuses to put the call through. He's a coward, Dan. Mm-hmm. 
and everybody's scared. So the doc, he's like, yeah, something did happen. But Smith, he's got us all scared to talk. So we're not going to do it. But I handle the dead bodies around here. So I got a hearse. If you want to take that and leave town, that's fine. But of course, (laughs) it's not a working hearse. Something happens to it. And that something, of course, is old Hector David. He disables it. And meanwhile, McCready, he writes a telegram to give to the state police, which he gives to Hastings. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see if that telegram actually makes it through. Hmm. I wonder. <laughs> In the telegram, it's talking about an urgent and dangerous situation. So that's definitely a reason why you would come post haste from such a telegram. Mm-hmm. So now we're at the bar and old Smith and Coley come on inside. And Coley in particular, our uh, Ernest Borgnine, he really wants to get in a fight with McCready. He's, he's goading him on. And at one point, he, he's, he says something racist. And I love when uh, he's like, am I wrong? And McCready goes like, you're not only wrong, you're wrong at the top of your voice. <laughs> That's such a good line. I also like when uh, when he first walked, when uh, uh, Spencer Tracy first walks in and he asks, like, what, what he's hungry, like, what, what he has to eat. And he's like, you have chili with beans. He's like, well, that's just like, well, you can have a chili without the beans. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's like, and he keeps talking about the ketchup that he, you know, he can have to to add flavor. And then you get Ernest <laughs> Borgnine, who's kind of like prodding him a little bit, saying, "Oh, you're in my chair. My chair is not comfortable. Uh, you know, this chair, I'm, I'm not in. You know, you got to move over." So that's enough. Finally, gets into a fight with him, but McCready. <laughs> this is where it comes in, Dan. The karate, the the judo chops. Yes, <laughs> he gets it's him. Great. He gets him in the throat and the neck. And Ernest Borgnine's like he's gasping for air. I mean, got him right in the Adam's apple. It it is wonderful. Yeah, you just didn't see that coming. You know, like you're like right. You think it's definitely going to get rough, but wow, out of nowhere. But you know, he's he's a one armed man. You know, these are the moves you got to do. And part of that's the buildup. Like like I said earlier, it's it's like you know he's kept such a a level head and like. You, know, you you kind of it's it's you know you don't judge a book by its cover sort of thing so it's like you're looking at this guy you're like okay like if if, he, if someone gets really rough with him like in in this case with Ernest Borgnine it's like oh yeah like what's he going to do in this situation like is he really going to be able to stand up to him physically and then you're you're always thinking like oh yeah no he's not there's no way like Ernest Borgnine is going to throw him around the room right. um but obviously that doesn't happen uh it's the exact opposite he, they got one over on us for sure yep. and so at this point Obviously, McCready is like, all right, you guys have been total assholes to me this whole time. I know you killed Kamoko. You had something to do with it. All you guys, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Then back at the hotel lobby, turns out the telegram was never sent. Mm-hmm. Hastings tries to give it to Smith, but McCready was able to snatch it away and see that. And uh, he's like, you, you broke the law. I'm telling I'm telling on you guys. That's no good. We're going to have to do something about that. And that gets everybody all riled up and scared. And now the doc, you know, he's been feeling bad this whole time. And, you know, as we saw from him offering to help with so many little things like the hearse. And he's like, well, you know, we got to we got to fix this town. It's a last chance to redeem itself. Mm-hmm. You know, earlier, Robert Ryan says, you know, that there's a sickness coming to this town. But if anything, it's already sick and it's time to get better, healthier. The doc's trying to cure it. Exactly. Maybe. <laughs> You know, McCready, he's the medicine, but the doc, he's the cure. So now at this point, people are also feeling a little more vulnerable. And Pete, he admits to Doc and McCready that he's like, yeah, I remember what happened four years ago. It was a fucked up thing. McCready is like, I, I knew Kamoko. It's actually his son that I knew, uh, his son Joe. He died in Italy, you know, when this whole arm thing happened, trying to save my life. 
I, I owe him something. So I'm in BlackRock. I want to give his dad his, the medal that his son got for mm-hmm. doing this. And so they hear this and they're like, uh, buddy, <laughs> here you yeah. go. I got bad news for you. Uh, Smith, that asshole, Robert Ryan, he leased a little bit of his land, the Adobe Flat to Komoko. He's like, you know, here's some good land. It's plenty of water. But actually, of course, Reno Smith, he scammed him. He's a sleazy guy. He knew that the land was trash and he just was being racist and, and fucked this guy over. So now, you know, he had nothing, no land worthwhile. Komoko dug, dug himself a well, which Smith didn't like. He didn't like that he's improving the, the crappy place he sold to him. So that on top of being turned down by the, uh, the Marines when he tried to be recruited, he got super drunk, patriotic drunk, they say, <laughs> with the boys. And uh, they let that patriotic drunk, which, you know, means racism. Uh, yeah. They decided to point that towards poor Komoko, give him a little scare. And of course, being scared, <laughs> you're going to react to that. So he locked his door and then Reno, of course, started shooting at him. And then Komoko's clothes caught fire. And when he tried to get out of the house on fire, Smith shot him dead. So that's about as evil as it gets. Yeah, that's horrible. And on top of that, it just is huge racism on top of it. So, yeah, there's there's nothing redeemable about this guy. He's got to go. And who's going to take care of this for us? McCready. But, you know, he might be leaving town after all. Um, Trying to. Pete calls his sister. And he's like, you know, we got to get him out of here. Can you help out? You've been super nice and helpful. You brought the Jeep. Help us out. So she's like, yeah, no problem. Why don't you come slip in through at night? We'll figure that out. You got old uh, Hector David, though, keeping watch. But the Doc and Pete knock him unconscious. They lure him over and and take Mm -hmm. him out. Classic. And so McCready jumps into the Jeep. All is well. We're getting the hell out of the desert. But I sent a double cross, Dan. Yeah. And so she actually takes him to Reno Smith, who's waiting in the rocks like that Robert Ryan always does. Seems like he's always hiding up there with some sort of rifle, doesn't it, Dan? Yeah. And the, <laughs> and, the, and I love it when those car headlights go up and it just has that circle light shining on the Jeep. Um, it's from from Robert Ryan's car. I just I just love that that shot. Very cool. One thing we, we've been remiss to point out is there's no score in this movie either. Mm-mm. So. You're not being manipulated by anything. It just really is just suspense. It's it, it's amazing. Right. You're just in it. Yeah. You're kind of waiting to see like it, it's a very, it's kind of a slow burn, but you're like seeing things kind of build and come to come to head. So it's just like you're like waiting for like what what is going to happen? How is it going to turn out? You know, it's such a successful slow burn, though. It's like the most thrilling slow burn ever. Like, it, it, yeah. It, oh, yeah. You're just having a blast the whole time, but it is just like slowly building up. Yet you're, you know, at an hour 20. So you're just zooming right through. Right. Um, exactly. But now we're out here in the, the desert, the, the further desert than where we typically were before. We got no witnesses. And this is like, cool. So I'm out of here. Good luck. We're all good. I don't owe you any favors now. But Smith is like, no, no, no. I said no witnesses. And he kills Liz. <laughs> She's running away. It's crazy. as she's running away it is so brutal. And so then Reno, he starts shooting at McCready. He hides behind the Jeep and then he fills up a bottle with gasoline from the Jeep, mm-hmm. puts his tie in it and makes a Molotov cocktail, takes out a Zippo too and lights it and hucks it at Smith, explodes on him and he's on fire, just burning and, and screaming in pain. It's so good. 
Yeah, I mean, especially because it's it's a callback to how Kamoko lost his life. So you know, it's it's the it kind of gets his own his own medicine in a way. True um, revenge, and there'll be no flowers growing for Reno Smith. Nope. And we should also like point out, like, I mean, obviously everyone's probably aware at this point, but McCree does this with one arm. So he's on the ground, <laughs> and he and he's like pulling his tie off and yeah. like with his teeth, and then like getting that out, getting the Zippo out, getting the bottle, you know, doing all this stuff. It's, it's just, that whole sequence is just great. Like just seeing him have to like go through that minutia of getting all that stuff done while hiding and, you know, trying to get away from the bullets of, of uh, Reno. Yeah. And of course it's Spencer Tracy too. So he just sells it so well too. Like, I mean, this man has one arm. It's, it's incredible. Yes. So McCready comes back a hero. He's got Smith's body, Liz's body. And the police are in town. He wants everyone who was involved with this locked away in a cell so they could deal with this. All is well. It's a, a hero's ending. He heads off to the train that's here the next day. And the doc asks if maybe the town can have Kamoko's medal. You know, they could do something with it. Mm-hmm. You know, put it on some sort of display or, you know, just really celebrate their new beginning, the, the rebirth of that town, hopefully into something better. Yeah, like a symbol of hope, potentially. Yeah. And McCready's like, yeah, this is going to be great. You guys know what to do with it. I've done my job. He gets on the train and then the people are like, oh, my God, like, is that the train? It hasn't been. It's only stopped once in four years. And like, no, no, stopped twice. Twice. There's your music. (laughs) The end. Yeah. 10 out of 10. I love this one. It's just such a perfect movie. It's a a total blast. Everyone is so, so good in it. And it's just all business like it, it's just a tight plot it doesn't waste any time uh and it's just interesting because it. it like we, we we said at the beginning just the the idea that i mean it, it does play out very very much like a western obviously but it does have this kind of a lot of the noir tropes in there and it's such a weird we wouldn't be here without that Dan. yeah right exactly so but but i feel like some some might question that but i, I think it's all there so i i think that obviously makes it worth us discussing but I think at its core, regardless of what you think about it, it's just a good movie. So, you know, I mean, can't deny that, but I do, I do absolutely think it belongs here. Yeah. But I think, yeah, it, one of the coolest things is that it is so many things. It's, it's a Western, but it's in modern times at that time. And, yeah. you know, uh, but it's a, a film noir, you know, it's like, we, we were always looking for that Western film noir and it, in many ways, this is it. Yeah. And so we, moon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, I, there's another Mitchum I found, Man with the Gun, that I think could absolutely fit. Okay, yeah. But we're, we're giving you guys a break <laughs> from, yeah. from, from the Westerns. Yeah, but, you know, we just we gave you this one. So in, in many ways, welcome back. It had Robert Ryan in it. I mean, that's our promise. And if we can help it, it'll be Mitchum and Ryan. <laughs> I was going to say, we, we're going to do a, a count of how many uh, Ryans and, and Mitchums we've had so far. I think Ryan is in the lead, but definitely, definitely. I got a Mitchum scheduled and, and uh, yeah, I'm aware of these things, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad oh, anytime we can get Robert Ryan. I think he's only been on twice this year, right? So far this year, probably that sounds about right. Yeah. This one in on dangerous ground, I believe. Yes. That sounds about right. Sounds about right. And it's good to have him. Yeah. I'm he's on our mountain him. warmore for sure. So, yeah. I mean, we had him a ton last year, so. Exactly. This is this year, Dan. This is how we do it. Yes. Um, but Bad Day at Black Rock originally, as we said, was a short story that was published in the American magazine. Ooh. Uh, it was entitled Bad Time at Honda. 
And it was actually adapted into a script by Don McGuire and pitched to the head of production at MGM, who was known at the time for championing films that had social issues in them. And it was a good call because MGM purchased the film rights, but they brought in Millard Kaufman to rewrite the script. And they were worried at the time because the title Bad Time at Honda was a little similar to the film Hondo, which had just come out with John Wayne. Mm -hmm. And so Kaufman had suggested using the town of Black Rock, a real town in Arizona, for the name. So they said, let's do it. And he finished the script in the fall of 1953. Spencer Tracy, you may have noticed he was uh, pretty old at this point. He was 55 and, uh, you know, a little old to be in World War II, but we believe it. MGM wanted him to play the lead and and we're willing to believe it. He, He does such a great job. So I'll take it. Yeah, he could have been like a commanding officer or something like that. I, I, I could I could buy that. You, with wisdom like that, you're definitely going to call him in. Yeah. Get the job done, even though apparently he lost an arm. He wasn't that good of a commanding officer, but <laughs> things happen. That's true. We saw they do. Um, yes. So John Sturgis was hired in June of 1954 and filming happened pretty immediately. It was shot in Lone Pine, California, where they built the small town set. Um, they had shot a lot of Westerns there. So that's why it, it may have that look. And the actually the shoot was very hot. They scheduled it for late June through early July to avoid the August high temperatures of 115 degrees. But during the 20 20- much better. <laughs> yeah, not too bad. But uh, during the 21 days of filming on location, it actually climbed to about 100 degrees at times. So it was very, yeah. very hot. Uh, and that might be some of the irritability <laughs> that some of them felt, especially uh, Spencer Tracy, who also was going through alcoholism and, you know, all sorts of ailments at the time. Mm-hmm. And they shot the most difficult action sequences first. So that car chase between mm-hmm. McCready and Trimble was done, which was actually from John Sturgis's memory of being almost run off the road by a drunk driver in college. Um, so that one, and then of course, Robert Ryan getting hit with the Molotov cocktail was a a complicated one. They used a stunt double, of course, who was smeared with petroleum jelly and outfitted with protective asbestos. That stuff is great. (laughs) Uh Oh, (laughs) and weirdly, that's not even the bad part of the story, but yeah, he had a protective suit and gloves and, uh, but he actually inhaled some of the, uh, fire and it scorched his lungs. And so he was rushed to. Rushed to the hospital, but back on set the next day. Between that and the, the asbestos, <laughs> it's, oh. not, it's not a good combination. R.I.P. The production code at first objected to the use of karate in the movie as they thought it was not fighting heroically. Okay. Ridiculous. But then they were reminded of the fact that our hero only had one arm and they're like, okay, I that's, guess that's, that's what it took. That's what it takes. <laughs> And then, of course, we said there's no score in the movie, which was a very uh, conscientious choice. There's only ambient sounds like, you know, just natural sounds that occur around. You know, that that was very well by design. And the, the producer had that vision. But then they said, of course, that the music department had hated them. <laughs> Bad Day at BlackRock, great movie. That means it's going to get nominated for Academy Awards. And in fact, it was nominated for three Academy Awards at the 1956 ceremony. Spencer Tracy up for Best Actor, Sturgis for Best Director, and Kaufman for the Best Screenplay. Tracy had won at Cannes, at the Cannes Film Festival, Best Actor, but he lost. And who did he lose to, Dan? His co-star from the movie, Ernest Borgnine, for his first starring role in Marty. And I love this movie, but I think I might love Marty a little more, so I'm okay with that. Hmm. You like Marty? I have never seen it. 
Oh, well, good news. Uh, Kino just announced a 4K of uh, Marty that's coming. So that might be the time to see it. But okay. I mean, he, he's a son of a bitch in this one, but he'll break your heart in Marty. Okay. It's okay. But I, I would have been fine if this movie had won too. Fun fact, uh, the White House loves this movie. The projectionist records show that this has been one of the most frequently shown films at the White House screening room. Hmm. I can see why. I can see, I can see that, yeah. It's a good movie. It's quick. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's good for the kids. They'll be like, oh, okay, it's an hour 20. I can make my way through that. But this was actually the last MGM on-screen film appearance of Spencer Tracy. He had been under contract with them for more than 20 years. So definitely end uh, of an era. Yeah. But if you want to see the boys again, Lee Marvin, Borgnine, and Robert Ryan, go see the Dirty Dozen. Yeah. You, you can have it. Everybody realized you needed them back. Uh, as for Anne Francis, check out Honey West from the mid-60s. It's a great show. She was the first female detective lead on television. And it's a lot of fun. It's actually kind of a lot like the Avengers, I would say. Like, it's a little humorous, but she kicks ass. I was re- I didn't know much about that until I, I was reading up on her. And I was like, yeah, I definitely want to watch this. It seems cool. And her, her co-star in this movie, John Erickson's in that, too. Yeah, no, it's um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I, you're gonna have to look for it a little bit. But I, I remember it was on TV a couple of times back in the day and I caught it. And I, I just love detective shows. So that was an easy sell. Um, I found but also, it on Amazon. You can actually you can get a DVD box out of it. Yeah, I saw there's some completes. You might have to do a little importing or something, but do what you got to do. And uh, Forbidden Planet. Check out Forbidden Planet. It's been a yes. while. That's what I knew her from. That, that was the one because I growing up, I really liked that movie when I was a kid. Such a great movie. Yeah. Uh, and and got, then got the all time great in it. I think we both know who we're talking about. The Neil dog. Yeah, in a serious role, which is so weird. <laughs> oh, dude, that's the weirdest thing is going back and seeing Leslie Nielsen like playing serious. Yeah. I definitely saw Naked Gun before I saw that movie, too. Same. Yes, definitely yeah. same. And then our last fun fact, Ernest Borgnine, when he crashed the door, you know, one of the funnest scenes in the movie, uh, he thought it was going to swing right open. But actually, John Sturgis, the director, had nailed it shut. <laughs> so <laughs> when he came in, it actually ripped it off from his hinges. And you could see his face like, oh, what the hell happened? And Sergis uh, recalled that Borgnine actually had never forgiven him for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it works. I mean, Great. it looks re- realistic. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful shot. So can't recommend that enough. Danny, got anything to add to our little bad day at Black Rock before we uh, go for other colored rocks and <laughs> no, better I, days? I, yeah, I think we touched on everything. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned Honey West. That was the one that I was going to mention because, uh, yeah, I I watched a couple of clips. I'm like, this looks really cool. This looks like something I would really enjoy. So I'm definitely going to, that's like on my list now of like next shows to, to check out. Put that on the list. And then I'm, I'm going to send you the Ernest Borgnine masturbate a lot <laughs> clip as well. Thank you. Thank you're, you. You're welcome. And our, our listeners, it's easy to find. You'll find it. But that's going to do it for episode one of Tech Noir Color May. Two coming up next week. Uh, we're going to stay in the desert, Dan. And we're going to get a little furious doing it. We're in 1947. It's Desert Fury. A story of violent passions brought dynamically to the screen by a cast of brilliant stars. Elizabeth Scott as Paula. A strange, reckless girl whose love defied convention. John Hodiak as Eddie Bendix, who guards his terrible secret like a coiled snake. A strange combination. You can recognize an automatic clip in your playhouse like you meant it. Burt Lancaster as hammer-fisted Tom Hansen. Don't go out there again. 
Now, wait a minute, Tom. I mean what I say, Paula. When you tangle with someone like Bendix, you just don't pick up your jacks afterwards and go home. Wendell Corey as Johnny, the third man in Paula's life. Two of them wanted her. He wanted her dead. Get out of here. Johnny, let me come in. I've got to talk to Eddie. He doesn't want to see you. Now get away from here or I'll kill you. So help me, I'll kill you where you stand. I've been, I've been waiting to do this one for so long. This movie is amazing. I'm looking forward to it. Also, Dan, yeah. we, we, we got to give you a special shout out. You curated this entire month, so I'm looking forward to all these movies. This was the only one I had seen, so from here on out, we're in un- unknown territory, and I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to bring this to the to our listeners, but also just to you know, have you experienced them too? Cause there's, there's some, there's some interesting things in these movies. Like I think there's some, definitely some good talking points uh, for sure. I uh, whether, believe it. Whether you either, if you're on one side of the fence where you really like it or the other side of the fence, where you're like, what, what is going on? So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. That's the beauty of these color ones. You know, there's, there's always something to talk about, even if it's a stinker. So yeah. we'll find out. I, I'm feeling pretty positive about the whole affair though. And glad we got here. I mean, this one was always going to be coming at some point, but yeah. we, we found a nice little theme to go with and we're mm-hmm. doing it. And if you guys liked it, or if you like other things, tell us about it. Leave, leave a review. These things help. Uh, feel free to rate as well. That's just leaving stars. That's easy to do. You don't have to say anything, uh, but I mean, you, you could. You could, but I'm just saying, if that's where the pressure is, you know, feel free to just give us a rating. The review is optional, but we'll yes. take it. Uh, Apple Podcasts, they do that. There's ratings on Spotify. Tell some potential noiros that you, you like the show or warn other people to stay away from it. Ooh, this is a stinker. Either way, <laughs> it's available to you. You know, we're, we're never going to poo-poo honesty. At least not there. We'll poo-poo honesty if you message us or follow us on out of the podcast on Instagram, out of the cast on Twitter. Things are starting to heat up there. I saw uh, a comic artist I love, Paul Chadwick, who did Concrete and actually did the storyboards on Miracle Mile. He didn't follow us on Twitter, but he added us to a list. So I didn't know what that was about, but that was very interesting. So Yeah, I don't know what that is either. (laughs) But I knew... I knew who it was and that meant something to me. So that was cool. Um, the real out of the podcast at gmail.com. Tell me if you've read concrete. It's a great comic. If not, uh, we'll figure something out. There's, there's going to be something to talk about. Uh, the question is, are we getting any closer to having Keith David on the show or, or somebody really, really cool on the show? I think not we, that we haven't had anybody cool before. We've had a great, all cool people, but I'm talking like you like them, Dan. I, I, I didn't care for them. Uh, oh, oh, I thought all our guests were great. Oh, no, we love our guests. I'm just kidding. Um, they are the, the the Keith Davids of our friends. Yes. Which well, is like the greatest compliment. Inter- interesting stars to have on uh, the show would be really cool at some point. I've mentioned a potential one to you that, you know, once it becomes a little more, the timing is better, I think I can get and would be good. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I would love to have Silverthroat on the show. So, yeah. He knows it's an open invitation. I think we're like a couple hundred more listeners away from pulling something like that off. Yeah, it would be great. It would be great. But 
see what we're up to in the meantime. <laughs> no guests, <laughs> no guests for a little bit unless some surprises come. But uh, you know, they'll be back, and uh, hopefully, you'll be back too next yeah. week. Desert Fury is going to be a good time. But in the meantime, uh, here's to crime and color, Dan. Yeah, it's crime and color. Reading. <laughs> <laughs>